So listen, um, we've been in a series called The Artist in the Art, and for the past two weeks we've talked about two different themes. Week one was simply this, before anyone else could define you, God defined you, and that theme is actually taken from Ephesians chapter one, where it literally goes in in verse four and it says, before the foundations of the world, before anything was created, God knew you. So before a brother, before a mother, before a father, before a co-worker, before anyone could actually begin to define you, you were defined by Christ. And then uh, last week we talked about that God is not calling us to perfection, but he is calling us to progress. He is calling us to enter into the race, which is something that I have discovered myself this week. Um, it's one thing when you preach a message, and then it's another thing when you get home, and then you start realizing Oh my goodness, that message I wrote was actually for myself. <laughs> um, so I had one of those weeks where it's like I'm trying to perfect something, and I'm trying to do my best, and I'm falling short, and then my wife is like, hey, don't you remember the message you preached last Sunday? I'm like, shut up, I don't want to remember that. Um, so here's the thing, today's theme is going to be a little bit heavier, but I think if we grab onto it, that it can probably be the best thing that we talk about in this whole series. We're going to wrap up this series this morning, and next week my dad is actually going to be here um, preaching, and he's going to preach a, 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 just a standalone message. So uh, if you haven't heard him yet, or if you ha haven't heard from my dad, it would be awesome for you to be here next week. Before we jump into anything, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you, God, just for this opportunity to spend time with you this morning. God, we know that these are not just my words that you want to speak, but God, we know that you want to speak to us. God, I pray for those that are feeling hopeless. God, for those that are feeling alone, God, for those that are struggling maybe with addiction or they're struggling with a relationship, God, that this morning that you would come and that you would make them whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today, here is today's theme. And as I said, it's going to be a little bit heavier than normal, but I think if you can grab a hold of it, it will be by far the best thing that we talk about. And it's simply this. God will tear you down only to build you back up. God will tear you down only to build you back up. How many of you guys have ever just hit rock bottom before? Like you hit rock bottom and you come to this low place in your life and you begin to realize, okay, I have one of a few options. I can either call out to God or I can try to figure it out on my own. And the more that you try to figure it out on your own, the harder and the harder that you fall, right? So this um, actual theme is taken from Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 28. We're going to read it, and then we're going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to give you some context about this scripture. It says this, Jeremiah 31, verse 28. It says, in the past, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. It says, in the past, I deliberately uprooted and tore down this nation. I overthrew it, destroyed it, and brought disaster upon it. But in the future, I will just as deliberately plant it and build it up. I, the Lord, have spoken. So one thing that I want you to know is real quick is when God says, I deliberately uprooted, and then he also says, I deliberately am going to build it back. So God is going to intentionally begin to destroy this nation of Israel. And we're going to read, let's back up just a few uh, chapters. If we go to Jeremiah 18, um, verse 5 through 10. And then this is uh, Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel, and he's, he's a prophet at the time, so he's speaking God's words. And this is what he says, and we're about to understand why God had to tear down the nation of Israel. It says this, Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to the clay? This is a very 
important passage. What God is saying, he said, listen, he says, I'm the great artist. I'm the great potter. And he said, I'm really, really good at molding and shaping things, and I know what I'm doing. And sometimes I know when I begin to shave things off and I begin to mold things a certain way, it hurts. And it doesn't feel good, and we don't like it. And maybe it seems like God's way is not the best way sometimes. So God is saying, should I not be able to mold you how I choose? And then he says this, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. If I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Okay, so God is going to intentionally tear down the nation of Israel. We're going to read in a moment um, why he does that. But ultimately, he's going to tear them down because they refuse to turn from their evil ways. They refuse to be obedient. They refuse to trust that God's ways are better than theirs. Have you ever been in a situation in the you don't really call out on God. You're just, your back is up behind the wall, and maybe you've hit rock bottom, or maybe you're really at your lowest point. And the best feasible option seems like you should just take it into your own hands and control the situation. Any, any control freaks in here? Don't bump them if you're sitting next to one. Any control freaks in here? Like, you just like to control the situation. You like to have everything under control. You like to know all the details. And sometimes it's really hard for you to allow God to mold you because a lot of times his plan doesn't line up with your plan. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, God's plan doesn't always line up with your plan, and it begins to hurt. So God deliberately is also going to build um, the children of Israel right back up when they turn from their evil ways. But something I want you to notice before Israel turned from their godless living, they first had to learn the hard way. Here's the not-so-fun part. Um, a few years ago, my boys Eli and Isaac were actually, uh, Eli was sleeping in a regular twin-size bed, and Isaac was sleeping in a crib, but he was old enough to walk. And um, if you're a parent, one of the things that, you, that you're going to experience when you have younger kids is you're going to be woken up a lot. Like... A lot. And one of the ways that Claire and I used to be woken up was we'd hear this sound. And we're like, what in the world is that? And we'd go back in the room, and Eli had climbed out of his bed, gotten into Isaac's crib, and they're both just like going to town like it's a trampoline in the crib. Okay, just jumping up and down, having the greatest time. And every morning I'd look at him and say, listen, boys, you cannot jump like this. This bed is going to like just fold. It's going to break. So one morning we hear, <coughs> you ever had that moment as a parent, like where you just want to rush in the room and be like, uh-huh, I told you so, son. I told you, you just want to point your finger and be like, I'm not even consoling you. I'm not even giving you a band-aid. Like, you, you wrecked yourself. And that's kind of what we wanted to do. So what happens in that situation? Um, I throw the covers back over my bed. My wife goes and checks on them. That's usually what happens. Dad's like, oh, she can check on it. Um, so my wife goes in there, and what happened? They broke the bed. They broke the bed. And they're all crying because it's broken, and, you know, they hurt themselves. But one thing that you take note in this situation is with my boys, and this happens a lot of times with your parents who realize this, a lot of times your kids have to learn the hard way. Like, they don't understand what you're talking about until they hit a place of like, oh, I just broke the bed and hurt my leg. Oh, I understand why mom and dad told me not to do this, 
right? True story. I was a little kid, and my mom was cooking, and she said, we had those electric stoves, you know, where the thing gets real red and hot. And when I was a kid, like, I would just stare at that thing. Like, man, that is so cool. I want to touch it. My mom's like, do not touch that. It will burn you. And one day, and like, I couldn't take it. I'm one of those kids that, you know, you go in the room, they're like, don't press the button. I'm like, true story, I pulled the fire alarm at my school one time and got suspended because I pulled the fire alarm. I just wanted to see what it did. I was like, Shh. You know, and then I get like bum rushed and all these people tackle me and my dad beat my behind. But they have to learn the hard way. So I touch the stove, burn my hand, learn, okay, that little red cool thing is hot. I should not touch it. And so the children of Israel are about to have to learn the hard way. But there's one thing that I want you to notice. Before God disciplines them for their disobedience and their unrepentant hearts, he gives them a warning. He gives them a chance to turn from their licentious, godless lifestyle. In Jeremiah 18, 11 through 12 says this. Therefore, Jeremiah, so God is speaking to Jeremiah saying, go and warn all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, Israelites. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. And ultimately, I will... Um, I will spare you. But the people replied, and I want you to take note of this. They said this, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want, stubbornly following our own evil desires. So, God had a plan to prosper Israelites, but they didn't learn. They wanted to learn the hard way. They wanted to continue to keep doing things the way they were doing. They wanted to continue to live a lifestyle where their pleasures and their own things they've believed were truly better than God's. And they said, God, you know what? We don't really want you to mold us. We, we don't really want you to shape us because right now our pleasure and our lifestyle and our way of doing things and our plan is much better than your plan. So God says, okay. In order for them to learn, he's going to have to bring them to rock bottom. The truth is, many of us don't realize our unrepentant hearts until God brings us to the lowest point. We don't realize it. Some of us don't realize our disobedience or our unwillingness to turn from sin that is really just killing us until God brings us to the lowest low and until you have nobody else to call out to. Other than him. So this is what God's going to have to do. He's going to have to bring them to the lowest point of their life. And I want to read to you God's response in Jeremiah 18, 13 through 17. And it says this. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ask among the nations, Who has heard the like of this? The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountains and waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? And listen to verse 15. But my people have forgotten you. They make offerings to a false god. They make them stumble in their ways and their ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing that is hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. So listen, notice this. Everybody that sees what God is doing to Israel and how he is destroying them, they take note of it. They notice, like, man, if you would just turn from what you're doing and choose to follow Jesus, then everything would work out. 
And in verse 17, like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of calamity. So, God will tear you down only to build you back up again. God will tear you down only to build you back up again. Consider the story of Jonah. Anybody heard the story of Jonah? You grew up in Sunday school. You've heard the story. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. Well, see, what happens in this story in the very beginning is God calls out to Jonah and he says, Hey, listen, go to Nineveh. I want you to tell my people about me. Because Nineveh was a very godless nation. They, they were all about themselves and doing things that just were not good in God's eyes. Well, Jonah, the reputation of Nineveh had preceded itself. Everybody knew about it. And he was scared. He didn't want to go because he knew if he took the risk, if he took the chance of going there, he could be killed or something bad could happen to him. So instead of choosing to obey what God had called him to do, he decides to run. So what does he do? He buys a ticket. He hops on a boat. He gets on a boat, and everybody knows the story. Let's see what happens. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish. And I want you to notice this. Away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah decides to run. He decides to think that his ways are better. And lo and behold, what does he find out? He is running away from the presence of the Lord. So three things that I want to share with you this morning. What happens when we choose to obey our own ways and choose to decide our own ways rather than the plan that God has for us? Number one, intimacy with Jesus is stripped away. Intimacy with Jesus is stripped away. So here's the question. Let me ask you a few. Do you have a hard time connecting with Jesus? Like, do, do you have a hard time hearing the voice of God? Then I would say... Have you asked yourself the question, is there something that God has called me to do or to obey that I am running away from, that I'm not doing? See, oftentimes as Christians, we want a new experience, right? We want to come into a church and we want to feel God in a whole new way and we want to read and we want some kind of new revelation, some new kind of experience. When really what God wants us to do is just simply obey. Obedience is the hardest thing to do because you know why? Because on the other side of it, there, there's fear. On the other side of it, we don't know what's going to happen. We've got to step out in faith and go, okay, God, if I do this, are you really going to come through? Or are you just going to leave me hanging? There's fear. There's anxiety. There's worries. But the truth is, intimacy with Jesus is nearly impossible when we're doing everything possible to run from him. See, we, we can't really know God as we should when we're running away from him. Many of us know we, what we need to do, but the fear of what is on the other side consumes us. If I obey God, if I do this, or if I do that, or if I do what he's asked me to do, then what's going to happen? But here's what happens. And so I was thinking about this morning. You see, when we choose our plan over the plan that God has for us, it might seem easier in the moment, but we become exactly like the children of Israel. God, don't waste your breath. Don't waste your breath. 
I'm not, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because my way is better. And because God is what we've talked about through this entire series, because God is a loving father, he will cause us to go through things that may be difficult and hard at times so that he can pull us to himself. So things that may not make sense or things that we don't like, or maybe you're in a situation right now, you're like, why in the world am I in this? See, the truth is, many of us know what we need to do, but it's too difficult to do it. Like, many of us know that we shouldn't be sleeping with our boyfriend if we're not married. Like, we know this, but to break that situation and make it right, it's too difficult. It's too hard. What happens? Many of us know that we shouldn't be making shady deals at work, but we do it anyway, because if we don't, then our boss is going to fire us. Like, we compromise because we think that disobedience in our own ways and our own plans are better than the plans that God has. And let me be quite honest with you. When you expose yourself and when you come clean with things, man, there's going to be pain involved. There's going to be some embarrassment. There's going to be some things that you have to walk through. There's going to be some things that you have to deal with. But in the end, it's a whole lot more worth it. Instead of being in bondage. Instead of having to lie after lie after lie and cover up after cover up. And living in this perpetual lifestyle of guilt and shame. There's nothing more freeing than living in absolute freedom when you're truly known and you've got nothing to hide. One thing I can promise you is this. The embarrassment and fear you will feel will fail in comparison to the freedom you will have when there's true repentance and obedience. There's true repentance and obedience. So Jonah is on his journey of running and a great storm begins to take place. So everyone on the ship is obviously filled with panic, begins to call out to a god. They go down to the hole of the ship, and they find Jonah sleeping. In the middle of this storm, in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this pandemonium, the dude is in the bottom of the ship taking a nap. Now, I find it interesting that Jonah is actually sleeping. Because oftentimes, in order for us to be wakened from our slumber, we have to be thrown off the boat. See, in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of all this pandemonium, in the middle of this storm brewing, the men are running down, they come down to Jonah, and they go, what in the world are you doing sleeping? Like, God is, something is happening, this great storm, and he begins to realize, okay, he says, hey, listen, if you throw me off the boat, the storm will probably stop. God is trying to grab hold of my attention. I find it interesting that he was sleeping, because oftentimes when we're blind to things, when we don't realize what God's trying to do, we don't even realize the pain and the, the, the infliction that we're causing ourselves and the people around us because of our disobedience. We're blind to it. We're sleeping. And so what happens? Jonah says, if you throw me off the boat, the storm will stop. And oftentimes, God is going to have to tear you down. He's going to have to throw you off the boat for you to understand exactly where you're at. And listen, I know that's painful. I know that's not a place that any of us want to be at, but God loves us so much that he'll throw us off the boat so that he can open our eyes to the reality of around us, that we're running from him, that we genuinely believe that our plan and our purpose for our life is better than the God of the universe. So they throw Jonah over the side, and then on top of that, not only is he thrown into waves, but a fish swallows him. 
you imagine that? Like, as soon as I get thrown over, I'm like, all right, God, thanks. I'm going to try to tread water for a little while. And then, bam, you get eaten by a fish. God, seriously? Really? It's eaten by a fish. Jonah 1, 15 through 17. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Three days, three nights. Number two. God will bring you to the lowest low so that you will know his ways are better. God will bring you to the lowest low so that you will know that his ways are better. Listen, when you're sitting in the belly of the fish, who in the world are you going to call out to other than God? Listen, there's some of us in here that man, we just hit rock bottom. And the only thing that you have is calling out to Jesus. The only thing that you have is calling out to Jesus. If you want to go read it in Jonah 2, 1 through 9, you're going to see in the belly of a well, Jonah begins to pray and begins to cry out to God and he says, God, forgive me for not doing what you first asked me to do. He begins to pray. He begins to seek God. He begins to cry out God. See, in a moment, Jonah is at his lowest point. In the middle of being torn, torn apart, we must call out to God because he is the only hope for us to be rebuilt. See, sometimes God brings us to the lowest point so that we can realize and we can come face to face with who we really are. And then he can begin to build us back up. Once he's exposed all the lies He's exposed all the things that you've tried to cover up, all the people that you've tried to be, and all the masks that you've tried to put on. He's going to strip all of that away so we can be real with ourselves. We're not playing a game. We're not playing church. We're not playing religion. We're not playing relationship with Jesus. But then it's authentic. And he says, okay, now, now that you've turned, now that you've decided to obey, now that you've decided to come clean, now I'm going to build you back up. See, we must deal with our sin. We must choose to obey and repent. Here's the truth. You can do exactly like Jonah did. You can run and you can hide. But you will always take yourself with you. So, so let me put it this way. You may think in marriage right now, maybe you're having a difficult season. And you may think the grass is greener on the other side. And what would it be like with a different woman? Or what would it be like with a different man? Somebody that just treats me right, or, or, or what, however you want to believe it. The truth is, you can get a divorce, and you can go marry somebody else, but you take your heart with you. The issue is, not your husband or your wife, you're the problem. Right? And, and many of us think if we just change our circumstance, or we just change our situation, that things are going to change. I talk to people all the time. I say, man, if I could just get out of this town, I'd, just get out of, I'd be a totally different person. No, you wouldn't be. You still got the same insecurities, the same things that God is trying to push on you to deal with. You're the same person. You can move from Louisiana and go to Washington, and you're still going to deal with the same issues. You take yourself with you. You don't need a new spouse. 
You don't need a new job. You don't need new friends. You need a new heart. See, you, you can run all you want. But just like Jonah, you take yourself with you. And until you come to the place where you say, okay, God, I, look, I've hit rock bottom. Or you can come to the place where God offers the warning like he did to the children of Israel, and you don't have to hit rock bottom. Okay, God, I received the warning. I'm going to turn now. Many of us don't do that, though. Many of us have to, we have to be brought to the lowest lows to realize, okay, I need to repent, I need to obey, I need to do what God is asking me to do. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel asks this question to Jesus. He said, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? And then Jesus says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So point number three, only through true obedience and repentance can God build you back up. Only through true obedience and repentance can God build you back up. If you look in Jonah 2.10, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited him out upon the sea. Verse 9, right before that, is right after Jonah finishes his prayer of repentance. And then the fish vomits him out. As soon as he comes to the place of realization, I'm running from God, and I've got to begin to solve the issues in my heart. God sets him free. God sets him free. I often wonder what the story would have been like if he would have just kind of given up. If he just would not have cried out to God. If he would have just succumbed to his circumstance. Right when he repents, right when he chooses to obey, he gets spit out of the fish and he lands on the shores of Nineveh, the very place that God called him to. My dad and Pastor Jacob say this all the time. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. And oftentimes we have a hard time doing what God has called us to do because we haven't done the first thing that he's told us to do. So if God has spoken to you about something and you're wondering why you can't hear the voice of God, you need to go back to what he told you to do a year ago, two days ago, however long it was. And you need to do that. That's exactly what God did. Okay, now that you've repented, now that you've obeyed, boom, here you are. Now I'll spit you out on the shores of Nineveh. Now go do what I told you to do. And I like to say, if you finish the rest of the story, that Jonah just did it with a skippy, happy heart. He did it. He goes in there, he tells the city, he sees the whole nation... Um, turn and they come to Jesus. And then in chapter 4, he goes out from the nation and he sits under a tree and he asks God to kill him. He's like depressed. Right after he obeyed, right after he did what God asked him to do. And in that moment, God meets him there again. You see, you're going to have moments when you obey and you do what God's called you to do. And then there's going to be moments when you have those low, low points. In whatever situation you're in, no matter what it is, we have to learn to run to the Lord and learn to understand that His ways are better than ours. His plans are better than ours. And sometimes in our mind, they don't make sense. He 
God will not rebuild those who refuse to believe his ways are better. God is calling us out of darkness and to repent of our wrongdoings, and he will make us new. But let me clarify something. Repentance is not just a prayer. Repentance is fighting daily to flee the scheme of the enemy. I think Charles Spurgeon said it best. He said this. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin. A mourning that we have committed it, so we're sorrowful of what we've done. A resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. That is true repentance. That what we just did, we understand that we chose in that moment to consider that our ways were better than God's, and we realize, man, it wasn't. I failed, and we repent of that. And then we do everything that we possibly can to run away from it. I put this on Facebook a few days ago, but it was something as I was studying for this that I really felt like God had showed me. But you're, just because your life is under construction does not mean that you have to live in turmoil. Like just because God is doing work on you, like we talked about last week, just because you are making progress does not mean that you always have to hit rock bottom. It does not mean that your life always has to be miserable. See, if we choose to obey in that moment and we choose to repent and truly turn from it, then God is constantly making progress in our life. We have to fight everything in us, and I'm talking about myself here. We have to fight absolutely everything in us to consider that our ways are better than His. We have to remember that we are the clay in the potter's hand. When he's molding things and he's constructing things in our life, he knows exactly what he's doing. And it doesn't always make sense. It's not always something that we leap for joy when he asks us to do these things. But I can tell you this. Even though it's been great fear, and even though it's been stressful at times to consider and know that God's ways are better than my own, Every time I've chosen to obey, regardless of what the situation is, God has always been with me. That's the thing I love about the story of Jonah. Man, he failed. He failed miserably. God freely forgives him, equips him and empowers him to do what he needs him to do, and then he loves him wasn't mad at him. He wasn't holding a grudge at him. He called Jonah to obey and to repent, and he did so, and then God begins to use him in a mighty, powerful way. So today, you can make a choice. To repent, to obey, to turn. See, it's my job as a pastor to stand up here try as best as I can to present the truth to you. But you've got to make a decision because I can't do that for you. Like some of you, it's just the decision to simply follow Jesus. And for some, it's just simply a decision to go, okay, God, you know what? I've been fighting this my entire life, but I'm going to choose that your ways are better. I'm going to choose that your ways are better. You know, so many people 
They like to have their little checklist. This has to go on on this day, and this has to happen, this has to happen. And we do that with God a lot of times. Like, God, in order for you to trust me, I need this to fall in place, I need this to fall in place, and I need this to fall in place. And then God just says, no, let me just shake you and mold you how I see fit. And one of the coolest things in Jeremiah that I absolutely love is that God says, listen, if you choose to repent and you choose to obey, I'm not going to bring you to the lowest point. I'm going to build you back up. But then on the opposite side of the spectrum, for some of you guys who are at rock bottom, God says, listen, if you choose to turn from your evil ways, you choose to accept repentance and true obedience, I will build you back up. That's what this series has been all about. God is a great artist at work in the art, which is you. And his whole desire and passion since the very beginning has been to make you like himself. Just like we talked about in the first week, God loves taking broken pieces and making sense of them all. God is at work in the middle of your story. See, he knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And he wants to build you back up. But we've got to trust that he knows what he's doing, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense. Isaiah talks about it, says God's ways are so much higher than our ways. There's absolutely no way that we could ever understand them. There's many things that we can't understand. And there's some things, it doesn't matter how hard you think or how, how smart you are, you will never come to terms with why God does the way that he, that he does things certain times. You'll just never know. You've just got to learn to trust that he knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray for the many in here. God, that maybe they're just at a place, God, where things aren't going well. Maybe they've hit rock bottom. Maybe they've hit a place, God, where God, they need your grace. God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage, God, to turn from their ways, to repent. God, they would understand every single time they turn, God, that you would build them back up. God, that there is grace for their shortcomings. There is grace for their failures. You haven't called us to be perfect, but you have called us to progress. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me, let's chat real quick about something. Um, as we wrap this whole series up, I wanted to end it with this because I feel like the past two weeks, you know, we've talked about this, this great, grand grace that Jesus offers all of us. And he takes the broken pieces of our life and he fits them back together. He's not calling us to be perfect, but he is calling us to make progress. But I want you to know that you have a part in this whole story. You know, one of my greatest fears all the time is simply this, and I don't think it's ever possible that you can do it, but that I would abuse the grace of God. That I would just see it as a crutch to continue to live my life however I want. 
because God is so gracious. But Paul even talks about this. He says, just because we have the grace of God doesn't mean that you keep living a life however you want and then keep coming to God and saying, okay, God, I'm sorry that I did that. Help me, cover me. You see, when God truly takes over your heart, this stuff becomes your desire. God, I don't, I'm going to do everything I can to run. I'm going to do everything I can to repent, to, to obey, to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to step out. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take uh, some faith. You play a part in all of this. And listen, as a church, our desire, the reason that we put so much emphasis on life groups, the reason we put so much emphasis on Friday mornings for all of our men at the coffee shop over here, and our ladies' meetings, and all that stuff, because discipleship is the key. Sunday mornings are great. We can celebrate all that Jesus is doing, and we can worship, and we can preach, and we can get connected, and we can drink coffee. We can have all those great things, and we can say, hey, man, I just love this church. I feel like it's family. But at the end of the day, and I've said this for weeks now, and I'm going to say it for the rest of the time that I'm pastor here, is every single one of us are going to come to that day where we get that phone call where we don't know what to do. Where our circumstances change like that in an instant. And when that happens, you've got to be ready. You've got to be grounded in family. Discipleship. You've got to be able to pick up your phone and have other men that are praying with you, that are believing with you, and other women that are doing the same. So listen, if, if you consider this your, your home, your church, your family, I strongly, strongly encourage you, man, get involved in a life group. Go sign up for one at the Connect table up there. Or if you're a man, every, every Friday morning we meet at, at Hope the coffee shop right across the street. Every Friday morning at 6.30 a.m. I know it's bright and early. Sit down and just open your Bible and talk and we talk about life and what God's doing in us. It's discipleship. Sunday morning is awesome. But the bread and the butter and the meat and the bones is all going to be flushed out in real life with one another. That's what Jesus ultimately has called us to do. He's called us to do life together. He doesn't want you to do it alone. Because here's the question. Everything that we've talked about, if God is pushing on your heart and he's calling you to a place of true surrender true obedience, guess what? You can't do it by yourself. Because if you're a lot like me, I mean, the Holy Spirit convicts me, a lot of times it feels so weighty like I can't do it by myself. So I say, oh yeah, great, good sermon, good message, great, glad that God spoke to me. And then we walk out the doors, we get in our car, and we drive home and we forget all about it. It's why family is so important. It's why discipleship is so important. You can walk out of these doors. You can have lunch with somebody else. And, and what is God doing in you? You can hold each other accountable. So I encourage you, if you're not in any kind of group, there's many different, different ones that you can get involved in. Sign up for one. Show up to one. Let God do work.